Welcome to Wind Up Weekly. I'm Matthew Gong. I'm Katie Canfield. And we're here to share the week's news in wine. This week on Wind Up Weekly. Wine and Spirits Education Trust are set to launch what they claim is the biggest global consumer wine event ever held. In Napa Valley, Heights Wine Cellars buys a 20 hectare vineyard for $25 million. New lower alcohol wines from Brancott Estate. The New Zealand 2019 harvest results are in. Another small but stunning vintage, according to the New Zealand wine growers. Lineup of wines tasted in the latest MW exams are now released. And as ever, we finish with our wine of the week. The world's largest provider of formal qualifications and courses in wines, spirits, and sake. The Wine and Spirits Education Trust, or WSET, celebrates its 50th anniversary year with Wine Education Week, this September 9th through the 15th. Over seven days, WSET course providers will host more than 450 wine-related events in 45 countries. Wine Education Week will launch on September 9th in the UK with an attempt to break the Guinness Book of World Records for the largest ever food and wine pairing masterclass. The event will be hosted by Wine Education Week ambassador and TV personality Ollie Smith. From there, events will roll out around the world from Auckland, New Zealand to California in the USA, aiming for a continuous 24-hour global food and wine tasting session. The campaign comes out amidst important changes at the WSET. The most advanced WSET course, the Diploma, will be taught and organized differently starting in August. One of the most significant changes to the Diploma is the removal of the Spirits Unit, which is a consistent theme across the WSET levels. Beginning August, Level 2 will also no longer have the Spirits component, and this all follows the removal of the Spirits Unit from Level 3 two years ago. Now, this doesn't mean that spirits will be removed from the curriculum. Under the new format, students will be able to choose from existing course levels 1 and 2, plus the new level 3, set to launch in August, which will allow students to study spirits at the highest level. Adam Chase, founder and president of Grape Experience Wine and Spirits School, a WSET provider based in the USA, sees these changes as a way for the educational body to ensure continued improvement of curriculum. He says... The changes ensure the students can better focus on the subjects closest to their passion and career paths. All of us at Grape Experience are excited to be able to give as focused an an experience as possible to students under the new formats. So Matthew, you're a WSET certified educator. Uh, What do you think about these changes? I think they're excellent. I've um, been guided by the WSET and what everything that's happening um, over the last couple of years, changing the courses, but trying to make them as smooth as possible in the transition from one course to the next for students as well as for educators. And I think separating wine and spirits is really important, giving spirits the proper focus that they require. And the new diploma is going to be really exciting as well because it's uh, going to be a lot better for students, a lot more guided, helping them really pass the exam. And what about the changes with the spirits courses? So now we have a new level three. Uh, How does that compare to the existing courses? Yeah, the new level three is very exciting. Um, I was talking to Karen Douglas, who's helped um, organize all these different courses and revamped them all. And she says level three in spirits is about as high as it can possibly get. It's basically the next level is to be a distiller yourself. So really does immerse yourself in the world of spirits. And apparently it's quite difficult. So you really have to be in spirits. You really have to be into spirits and really want to learn about them to take this course, which is fantastic for those spirit lovers because previously spirits was a bit neglected under the WSET courses. 
And if you want to take a class with Matthew, sign up with Grape Experience. Uh, for more details about the events happening in September for Wine Education Week, uh, visit www.wineeducationweek.com. In Napa Valley, California, the high price of land was emphasized by the sale of a 20-hectare Rutherford vineyard for a reported $25 million. The vineyard, called Wildwood, was purchased by Heights Wine Cellars, one of Napa's most famous wineries, whose wine, Martha's Vineyard, was the first single vineyard expression to be made in the region. It was previously owned by large multinational corporation Treasury Wine Estates, who said in a statement that, quote, the vineyard was considered non-core to the business's requirements. The purchase comes just over a year after the Heights Winery itself was bought by Arkansas billionaire Galon Lawrence Jr. for $180 million. These figures demonstrate that investment into Napa shows no signs of slowing down, but that investors no longer have to be millionaires, but billionaires. So Napa Valley prices are just continuing to skyrocket. What do you think are the main drivers of that? Rich people. Investment uh, from within the US, particularly um, places like Texas, who love big cabernets in Napa. China as well. Uh, Napa receives lots of tourists coming from Asia, China and Japan in particular. The, Na- the, the Napa name just sells itself and prices get higher and higher. I mean, I tasted a $700 wine this week. And it's just insane to think that anyone would spend that much money on wine, but they do. Well, do you think there's a ceiling? That speculation continues and it's continued for a long time and yet the prices just keep going up and up. There's very little land left to be bought and what there is is extremely expensive, which is why you have to be a billionaire to buy land in Napa. And it's it's almost impossible to um, buy new land, as it were, and and plant your own vineyard. You have to buy what's already there. Well, it's a small, small area. It's a very small area, yes. We can only assume at some point that the bubble will burst. Climate change is going to have an effect. It may become too hot to plant Cabernet Sauvignon. And also trends change as well. And actually, the most expensive grape in Napa now is Cabernet Franc, mainly because there's less of it, but it is becoming more fashionable. So things do change, but Napa Valley is just riding that bubble. The health benefits and risks of wine are often debated within the industry, and how best to attract increasingly health-conscious consumers. This week, Brancart Estate, a large Marlborough brand, announced it was relaunching its low-alcohol wine range, or more accurately, its lower-alcohol wine range, and that's going to be called Flight Series. The alcohol is just 9% ABV, achieved by harvesting the grapes early with low sugar and high acidity. The producer also claims the wines have 20 fewer calories than higher-alcohol wines. They had previously abandoned the low-alcohol series due to low demand in 2015, but they now believe the increasing popularity of low or non-alcohol beverages will mean that the series will have regained broad commercial appeal. The series includes Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Gris, and yes, sparkling Sauvignon Blanc, and it will retail for £9.50 in the UK. Well, we all know who's driving this trend, don't we? Who, Katie? The Millennials. Ah, Hmm. what makes you say that? Well, that's just been in the news again and again, uh, that that age demographic really is looking for a healthier lifestyle. And that gets in the way in the drinks industry, as um, alcohol has often been associated with calories, with an unhealthy lifestyle. So drinks businesses are really trying to figure out how they can appeal to the millennial. But the wines are still 9%, which is higher than most beer is, for instance. 
True. So whether or not this will be a success will be interesting to see. What we do know is that millennials are really after uh, the hard seltzers, which come in at about 5% ABV. Uh, I think that's that's the sweet spot. Yes, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if the wines are any good. The Brancos Estate claims they're just as good as their regular wines. But with that lower alcohol, do you have the same complexity? But will the drinkers care? We'll find out. <laughs> And from the Southern Hemisphere, New Zealand declared its harvest report for the 2019 vintage, which at 413,000 tons was smaller than expected. This is the third small harvest in a row. Chief winemaker Matt Murphy at Mount Riley Wines in Marlborough said that spring and early summer were cooler and wetter than average, and the cooler flowering temperatures resulted in very moderate yields across almost all varieties. Yields on Sauvignon Blanc were down 15 to 20%, and on Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and Pinot Gris, 30 to 40%. Despite lower yields, producers seemed content overall with the quality of the harvest. Shirley Rostron of Waipapa Bay Wines in Marlborough commented that the fruit we brought in to the winery were beautifully ripe, with bright concentrated flavors and fresh acidity, reminiscent of the 2015 vintage, a very good one for the region. It's interesting for New Zealand with these um, lower yields. Focus has always been on quality in New Zealand, but how does New Zealand expand and find a broader um, audience if yields are lower? Well, that might be difficult, but if these lower yields are meaning higher quality, then they can continue to charge premium prices. And at the end of the day, that's what all wineries want to do, be able to charge more money. Yes, and New Zealand does associate itself with quality, so um, this just continues that focus. Well, New Zealand is a small wine-growing region in general, and they have limited uh, possibilities to expand. So production is always going to be capped. Um, so I think it is important that the region focus on premium quality, driving price points up and quality up. Um, and with these more limited yields, we're seeing the quality increase. On a personal note, the wines and theory questions for the latest round of MW exams were released to the public last week. I say a personal note, as Katie and I took the Stage 1 assessment exam a couple of weeks ago, and we were nervously awaiting the announcement of the wines that we had tasted. The Stage 1 assessment involves a blind tasting of 12 wines and two one-hour-long theory questions. The wines included a flight of three sparkling wines, which were all from Australia, and they were sparkling Shiraz, vintage Tasmanian bubbles, and gulp pink muscat. Then there were three Rieslings from Austria, Australia, and Germany, followed by four wines from grapes associated with Bordeaux, Loire Cabernet Franc, Mendoza Malbec, Chilean Carmenere, and Napa Cab. We finished off with Tokai, controversially one only available in the UK, and a Van Du Naturel. Theory questions included whether Riesling and Cabernet Sauvignon can be planted in the same location, stabilization before bottling, and the positives and negatives of supermarkets. All this for the dubious honour of sitting the Stage 2 exam next year, which features 36 wines tasted blind and five theory papers. So how do you think it went, Katie? Well, difficult to say. Uh, I will not reveal what I thought the wines were, but I will say I'm hoping that my tasting notes will be enough to push me through. Yes, there's a lot of emphasis placed on identifying the wine correctly, which is of course important. But most important is actually writing a good, accurate tasting note, analysing the wine, and describing why it tastes like it does. 
Well, whichever way it goes, it's been a wild ride. So if you think Finger Lakes uh, in New York State is all about Riesling, guess again. To welcome Summer, our wine of the week, this week is Dr. Constantine Franck 2013 Brut Sparkling Wine. The wine is made in the traditional method from Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Meunier. Disgorged in September 2018. What do you think of the wine, Matthew? It's very tasty. I mean, the Finger Lakes is a cool region, mm. so in theory it should be good for sparkling wine. I think this wine proves that it is. It's still a very young region, so they're still learning a lot about what grapes work and what kind of wines to make. And this wine does seem like a step in the right direction. Well, and Dr. Constantine Franck himself was one of the pioneers, uh, the first to plant quality vinifera vines in the eastern United States. So when was that, Katie? That was back in the 50s. Right, so not so long ago. Um, the eastern USA has a such a cool climate, it is actually quite hard to uh, grow grapes to make wine. And so they struggled for about 300 years to, to do that, but he managed to figure it out. And retail price is twenty eight ninety nine. Yeah, which for a good quality sparkling wine is a reasonable price, I think. Well, cheers to that. Mm-hmm.